Hello, and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. My name is Patrick Hart, and you're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What to Be is a program provided by Your Future is Our Business, a Santa Cruz nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. And today I have the honor to speak with Rachel Ann Goodman, who's a board chair at KSQD Radio, K-Squid, and is a lecturer at UCSC. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Patrick. Thank you very much for helping me out and taking the time to do this interview. It's my pleasure. Thanks for, for choosing uh, to look at this career. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate it. And, you know, I, I, I went back to school for the first time in 20 years last spring semester, and I had the privilege to take two of your journalism classes at Cabrillo. And just how much I learned and just how amazing it was. And between like the transfer of being in person and when we went to Zoom, how well I think you did and just making our classes very constructive and making the students be accountable. And I really don't feel like my education was at all compromised. So thank you for making that journey and coming back to school just so positive and, and doing such a great job. Thank you, Patrick. And I'm so proud of, of seeing you do your work in the world now and, and going from classes to actually doing radio production. It's, it's always a great feeling to see my students getting into journalism. That's really the point. So it's always an honor to, to see that blossoming. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure. And also having my internship at K-Squid and meeting just the great people there, learning about the great programs there and just being able to help make some radio features and getting out in the community and doing some in-field reporting during the fires and during the elections was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, thank you for that opportunity. I really appreciate it. Would you mind telling us about how you got into journalism and maybe just some of your background? Yeah, it's a long circuitous path <laughs> uh, that I've taken in my career. It, this is probably the heading ought to be, you know, how to have a really unconventional career path, um, how to make it yourself, make your life what you want it to be. I actually went through college, you know, in a straight path, I thought, thought I was going to be a psychology major, switched to environmental studies pretty quickly after I got to UC Santa Cruz back in the eight, early 80s. And as I was studying um, natural history, thinking I was going to be a park ranger, I stumbled into KZSC my second year and was so inspired by the student producers I met there who taught me what they knew. You know, they threw me out into reporting almost, you know, without any experience. This is hands-on learning at its best. <laughs> I had to kind of backtrack later and learn, you know, about journalism from more of an academic perspective. But at first... I was sent to cover, you know, the city council races in Santa Cruz, not knowing anything about them, except go find some candidates and interview them. And of course, I mispronounced Marty Wormhout's name. And I think I said Wormhout, uh, and she corrected me quickly. Very embarrassed. So that was my introduction to radio reporting. Uh, seat of the pants, just go get the story. And that was fun. You know, I kind of got the bug at that point. I also am a music 
fanatic and strolling through their miles of vinyl records was my music education along with my own exploration playing music I listened to so much there that I got very interested in very non-mainstream music like traditional old-time music and folk um, and things like that there so it's a wonderful resource for anybody who goes to UC Santa Cruz to take advantage of that wonderful learning opportunity hands-on um, at the radio station or the um, wonderful newspaper they have there, City on a Hill Press. So that's kind of the beginning, you know, of where I got the bug. And I also learned fundraising, which was an invaluable tool that later helped me become an independent radio producer, which is a thing. It's like an independent film producer. Uh, you fund your own projects through grants and you go out and produce them. So when I moved to East Kentucky to a little town called Whitesburg, I worked for a media company. My first job was with Apple Shop. And Apple Shop is an independent media company that produces videos, music from Appalachia, all with a lens to celebrate the culture of that region. Um, I was their fundraiser, helping fund everything from films to videos to theater productions. But as I started to write these grants, I thought, I want to be on the production side. This looks like more fun than what I'm doing. So I wrote a grant to the National Endowment for the Arts for a 13-part documentary series about women in early country and old-time music. I called it Southern Songbirds. And Patrick, you know, this is the imposter syndrome at work here. I really didn't know how to produce a documentary when I wrote that grant. I went out to California and enrolled in a documentary course <laughs> so that I could do what I had promised to do. And I found some of the best teachers at Western Public Radio. Leo Lee, Catherine Stifter, Michael Johnson were my mentors there. And they continued to help me as I produced that series. And we're talking 13 half hours, each one focused on a different person, lots of archival music, archival interviews, as well as in-person interviews. So I, I was driving up these haulers, you know, in these old dirt roads in the rain, trying to find these women through their directions, you know, and sitting with them in their living rooms, hearing their life stories. And that was probably one of the best things I've ever done, even now looking back. It, it taught me so much about a life well-lived. And I have to tip my hat to my mom here. My mother, Judith, was a similarly curious person about other people's lives and wrote a book called Big Sur Women. You know, I think both of us are feminists at heart. She carved her own life out of the Big Sur wilderness and lived on her own terms. She loved nature, but she also wrote about people's lives and was a kind of amateur historian. And so I was inspired by her to do my project. And when it came out, it got in stations all over the world. It got into Ireland, it got into some countries in Africa. <laughs> I would get letters from all over the world. And it, that really helped me understand the power of this medium for, for telling stories. And it was just so much fun to produce. And, and you'll have to realize that during the time I made that, radio production was done on quarter-inch reel-to-reel tape. <laughs> it was first done on a cassette, transferred to quarter-inch, you literally sliced and diced it with an editing tool called a razor blade <laughs> and a little block where you cut the tape and then you got tape from elsewhere in the interview and you taped it with editing tape back into its spot. So at one point I had all these clotheslines in the studio with different pieces of audio hanging 
on the clothesline with a label. This goes here and that goes there and I would reorganize it and you could slice out a word, but if you sliced it wrong, you had to start all over because you would have ruined the word. It wasn't like digital editing. So it took a long time and eventually I ended up with these mix downs, you know, from quarter inch to half inch back to quarter inch. You would mail it to NPR to put up on the satellite system so that other stations could take it down and run it. So the technology has changed vastly in my time. And thank goodness, I am not nostalgic for cutting tape, even though <laughs> there's something manual and satisfying when you get it right. How long did you work on that project? Uh, about a year and a half. That's awesome. And then where did you go from there? I kept producing documentaries, uh, really different ones that took me to different places. After that one, I produced one called uh, changing habits about a order of nuns that was working in Appalachia that had to give up their vows uh, to the church and make their own organization because they were constricted from being with the people and helping them. And that was a really exciting project. I helped them write a book. And after that, I made a documentary for a program called Horizons, which was a documentary series on NPR about midwives in the South who used to like ride horseback up the hollers to deliver babies. So that was really exciting. And I, they were called granny women. So I interviewed a bunch of these women. And of course I was pregnant while I was interviewing them. So I was getting all kinds of good advice. For students who are interested in pursuing a career in journalism, would students be able or people be able to sustain themselves producing documentaries like this? It's tricky. You have to be very creative and a good grant writer. You can do it. I ended up, you know, have, it was like stepping stones. Every time I'd finish a project, I'd be working on a new one. So you had to throw your next stepping stone ahead of you. It takes a lot of self-motivation to do this and you won't ever get rich, but it's super satisfying. The same thing with documentary filmmakers, you know, some of the more well-known one like Morgan Spurlock or Michael Moore, I don't think they get rich. I think they fund their project, you know, one project at a time and get to work on something wonderful for a couple of years and then move on to the next thing. So it's, it's difficult, but not impossible. Sometimes you have to have other work in between, which I managed to have. So yeah, you, you end up a patchwork kind of a existence. And if you're comfortable with that, it can work out really well. Yeah, it definitely seems like very beautiful and meaningful work and just how fun that must have been for you traveling around Appalachia and meeting these different people and going into their homes. It must have been inspiring. It was. It was really that. One thing that is a blessing is a lot of people who are raised in that culture are already incredible storytellers. They know how to spin a yarn. In fact, you know, people compete at the dinner table for who can keep the attention of the family or the group that's gathered there. So when you interview them, Almost everything comes out sounding like, you know, a wonderful folktale. So that, that made my life really easy. It's gold for interviewers to get people who can speak like that. Do you think that's kind of a lost art these days, like storytelling and being able to like recite? It just seems like maybe people aren't as patient anymore or don't have. Does that make sense? I think that could be true, although I think podcasting has revived this beautiful art of storytelling in into a high art form. When you listen to programs like This American Life or The Kitchen Sisters, who have unnarrated programs that just are stories of the primary people cut intercut with other stories and music and sound effects, um, that's a high art. And it's really uh, blossomed in the podcasting age. It's nice to see that's 
like a whole other opportunity for producers now that wasn't there when I was starting out. So podcasting, you know, the on-ramp is not so expensive. You don't have to get a giant grant. You do have to gather a big audience in order to fund it. But um, if you have a wonderful idea and talent, the world is much more wide open because of the on-ramp being cheaper and easier. Rachel, what do you think a good starting point for students would be to get involved in learning how to podcast and I guess just to get involved in journalism in general? They should take journalism classes in college. Yeah, right. Right. We are know, lucky that Cabrillo that. College offers a really good journalism program. We have a newspaper you could work on, and The Voice, and Brad Kava teaches that, and so you'll get published. You'll have many articles to show someone. You can also take the broadcast writing class that I teach at Cabrillo, but classes like that are good on-ramp. And being a creative writer as well helps you be a good interviewer. If you are a curious person, cultivate that curiosity about some passion you have and pursue that. You're going to be the best at what you do if you're curious about it. So there are people in our midst, you know, here in Santa Cruz County who have brilliant journalism careers, and a lot of them took unconventional paths to get there. Martha Mendoza, Pulitzer Prize winning AP journalist who lives here. Uh, was at Kresge, and I believe she had an American Studies and History degree, because there isn't a journalism degree offered at UC Santa Cruz. So she she did that herself. You know, she, she did independent studies covering stories. So there are ways into the field. Often they involve internships. That's really the most important part is to get a paid or unpaid internship in the field so you can show what you can do. People are looking to hire people with audio skills, with interviewing skills, with podcasting skills. So you need to actually start doing what you want to be doing. It's kind of do and then show entry point into the field. Do you find much time these days to do any of these kind of projects while you're teaching and with your other involvement with K-Squid? I wish I could say yes. But no, I I interview people live on the air during my talk show, which is the closest I get, but I don't do, and I do some creative little short spots for the radio station. You know, using my production skills, I've produced some fun little montages and squid-themed promos, but not not the long-form documentaries. I haven't done one. My last one that I did was over a decade ago called Pastures of Plenty. It was four hours on the history of California farm workers and how they entered the state and what their cultural background was and how farming fit into that, what they brought to the state with them when they immigrated. So it's largely about immigration and and growing food. And it it was so wonderful to talk to all these, you know, people whose roots were in the soil of California. So that was the last big project I did. And I'd love to do another one, but it's not in the cards at the very moment because I'm really busy teaching others. What surprised you the most in your journalism career so far? I think what it takes to get a story sometimes surprises me, like some of the unexpected things that happen when you think you have a particular story and it turns out to be a different type of story. An example might be I volunteered to do a freelance story for NPR about a hurricane hunter jet that studied Pacific storms as they slammed into the coast or as they crossed the Pacific. And so I signed on, not really thinking about it too carefully. I think I was trying to impress someone, maybe myself. 10 hours in the air, 
in an uninsulated prop plane that was meant to fly in and out of hurricanes, but in this case was flying in and out of powerful Pacific storms. And at one point, the plane dipped down to 500 feet above the Pacific Ocean. I thought we were going to land on the surface. I oh thought we were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I got so airsick that I barely got the story. Um, they were so nice to me, these pilots. They la actually let me sit in the cockpit of the plane because I was less airsick there. But I mean, part of it surprised me was my willingness to do stuff like that. You know, I had always wanted to be a David Attenborough or a... Um, Mr. Irwin or someone that went out and did wildlife stories. And I'd got to do a few of those. The Hurricane Hunter jet was kind of that adventure, although that didn't turn out as well as I hoped in terms of my personal health. I did get the story, but I went to Argentina and reported on the rare right whale. And I did a bunch of stories for a travel show called The Savvy Traveler. That was just fun. I guess the surprise was how much fun you can have and still get paid to do it. Yeah, that seems like it because, well, and you're like learning a lot and you're experiencing, you know, these beautiful cultures and people and flying around on airplanes. That sounds pretty scary. Being a nervous flyer, when it dropped down to 500 feet like that, was it pretty quickly? Yeah, and they didn't really explain to me like what they were doing. I just thought we were going to crash into the ocean. Oh. <laughs> they were kind of humorous, these guys. They showed me a dent in the side of, inside the plane where one of the life rafts had auto inflated accidentally and like almost like <laughs> squished the crew. I'm like, oh, thanks for that. Yeah, story. not so funny to like the normal person probably. <laughs> right. They're like, don't worry. You know, the Chinese scientist last week only filled eight air sick bags and you're only <laughs> up to five. Like, oh, I feel so much better. Now. Thank you. So yeah, people are very kind when, when you're struggling reporter. Can't imagine what it's like right now covering current events, watching the footage of the way journalists are treated. I am rather distressed watching that. You have to be even braver right now to get the story. And I'm so impressed and, and grateful for my colleagues who are putting their lives on the line. They didn't sign up for that. And they, have, they do not deserve the treatment they're getting from these people who are smashing their cameras. I just, I'm glad we're getting these stories. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what's happening. So, you know, you have to be brave, but also it's so important more than ever that we have people witnessing history. Yeah, I was shocked to see people stomping on, you know, those cameras that cost. They're so expensive, number one. And, you know, this it's wrong in so many different levels. Calling journalists the enemy of the people? I'm sorry. Journalists are the heroes. They're the ones risking their lives so that we know what's happening, to tell us the facts and to get, to get them, to get at the truth. And to attack them is to attack our democracy. Sorry to get lofty on you, but they ought to be given the Medal of Freedom. I agree. Do you think there's a common misconception that people might have about being a journalist? Yeah, <laughs> given so much bad press, you know, that is heaped upon journalists that, that somehow they're out to get people or that, you know, they're trying to get sensationalistic or salacious stories or that it's super romantic all the time. That's another myth I'd like to dispel. <laughs> Sometimes it's just a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of counting. You're counting crowd numbers, you're counting the number of body bags or you're counting, you know, chicks in a nest or whatever. You're doing a lot of, you know, literally counting things. Um, so it's not as glamorous as some people might think, but, but it's satisfying. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot taking your class over the summer, your media and social movements class, the summer session class at UCSC. That was so timely. I learned so much just in light of everything going on. It really made me look at news 
and the way stories are framed a lot differently. I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. Great class. My pleasure. What do you think is your most favorite or the most rewarding part of your job of being a teacher or just being a, a journalist? The rewarding part of my job as a teacher is to see my students succeeding in their career path and also just having their minds open. They write a reflective paper at the end of most of my classes and reading those is so satisfying because it always has, often has, you know, I started out skeptical, but at the end I really learned so much about the way the media works or uh, those kind of feedback loops make me realize I'm hitting some sort of nerve here and helping people gain media literacy, which right now is so important. It makes me feel like there's a real purpose to what I'm doing. And when you turn that on, I don't think you can turn it off again. You know, when your eyes are open to it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And that's a good thing, I think. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the What To Be Show on KSQD 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart and I'm speaking with Rachel Ann Goodman and we're talking about being a journalist and a teacher. Rachel, what is your least favorite part or the most stressful part of being a journalist or a teacher? Um, My least favorite part, believe it or not, of being a teacher is all the grading. I don't like giving people numbers for what they've done, but you have to because that's the system we're in. So all the grading takes a lot of time, but you have to do it because you need to hold people accountable for their work and it's the system we're in. But I believe people learn the best when they're just curious about the topic and, and want to learn. There was never a least favorite part of being a journalist. I think it always was interesting and fun and rewarding. And what advice or resources can you give students who are interested in pursuing this career? Well, there's a lot of opportunities here in Santa Cruz to intern. We have a new outlet called Lookout that's looking for interns. They're an online news source for Santa Cruz County. There's internships available at KSQD. Um, As you mentioned earlier, that's a great opportunity for broadcast journalists to get their feet wet and even do live radio which is rare in this day and age to get your hands right on the equipment and go. So I really suggest doing an internship just to see if you're interested in the field. And then, of course, we mentioned Cabrillo College's journalism program, one of the few around this region. And it doesn't matter if you are already a student, you can enroll in those classes easily. Anyone's welcome. Even if you're in UCSC already, you can take a, a Cabrillo course. So I just recommend just do it <laughs> is my best advice. And resources are all around you. You know, there's a Monterey Bay internship website, but it doesn't list all these internships. I would just contact these outlets directly or go through Cabrillo College because not only do we have a paid Reveille internship program funded by Roland Reveille, who's a generous benefactor both of KSQD and of Cabrillo, he supports this scholarship where you can get paid to work in the media in this area. So I would check that out. You have to be a Cabrillo journalism student to get that internship. And it is competitive, but there it is. And not only do you get to do journalism, you get paid for it. So I I would highly recommend people explore that option. Yeah, it is a great option for sure. And what about for students who are unsure about their career path? Could you give them any advice? Do what you love. You're going to be doing it a long time. The way the world is changing, you'll probably have many careers in your life. So Don't put all your eggs in one basket, but 
do some soul searching. When you're young, as I was, I did not know what I wanted to do. You know, my first year, I thought I was going to be a psychologist. And the second year, I was going to be a park ranger. And the third year, and then by fourth year, I was intent on doing radio and being a journalist. So it can shift. Follow your passion and make a life for yourself. Life is not that long. You know, if we get 80 years, we're lucky. So you might be in your career for 40 or 50 of that. Think about how you spend that precious time and choose well. I think that's pretty wise advice. Do you want to talk about how you got involved uh, with K-Squid? Sure. I got involved with K-Squid because another community radio station, KUSP, had gone dark. And there was a real gap, a real void in service to the Santa Cruz community. So I, with a small group of others, uh, got together to figure out how we could bring a community station to the airwaves. We um, looked around and found a frequency to buy at 90.7. It was not cheap, but we had some wonderful people chipping in amounts, both large and small. And together as a community, we raised the funds to make a new community radio station. And in February on the 15th, we will be two years old. Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a long, amazing journey. And we We're lucky enough to get a lot of veteran radio hosts, a lot of music people who are walking music encyclopedias. They are such a wealth of resource about music. People like Charlie Lang, who's been on the air for decades and is such a treasure to listen to. Hollywood Al, these are music people, but we also have talk show hosts that bring a wealth of knowledge to the airwaves. So we're so lucky to have both brand new radio hosts and people who have been at it for such a long time that really understand this community and how to serve it. Yeah, I always enjoy seeing Charlie come into the station when I go there on Fridays. And yeah, he just says that he starts, you know, just he'll just have like a couple songs in mind when he starts and that's, and then he just kind of lets his show go from there. But he's just a lot of fun to talk to. And I think he he was at Logos for like 30 years or something and just involved in music and he gets to do what he loves and K-Squid seems to be full of people like that. It is. They are such a wealth to talk to. So I highly recommend getting to know these people who are really the uh, heart of the station. We have 120 some odd volunteers and they come in for the love of radio. They don't get paid. They're doing this because they love it and they want to share it with the community. You know, community radio is really different than public radio, which is mostly piped in from Washington, D.C., which is all very fine and good, but you won't hear about your neighbors recovering from a fire, you know, and who's got soup to donate. Um, You won't hear that kind of really local helping hands type of radio on those other stations. We we're kind of different that way, and I'm proud of that fact that, you know, this is, these are your people, (laughs) your tribe, uh, all communicating together. And during COVID, that's become even more essential that we have a place to go to find out what's going on and how to get through this together. So we're not so isolated in our individual homes. Yeah, I agree. And I think K-Squid did a fabulous job covering the fire and keeping up with uh, COVID information to all of us. And you helped. You were out there at the fairgrounds interviewing people. I was out there. This is how you can have a local station like K-Squid help is you immediately turn your microphones and say, what's going on? How's it affecting you? What's happening next? And that kind of news reporting is very spontaneous, but it can happen quickly without a lot of red tape and bureaucracy. So we're proud of both our fire coverage and our COVID coverage. 
election coverage. Yeah, we've done a lot of these kind of marathon coverage things. We feel that's a new model we can bring to the airwaves. Yeah. And, you know, you can read about a story on in the news or whatever, but when you're actually out there and talking to these people and hearing their stories, you know, it's it's a lot different. It 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 changes things. You know, it did for me just hearing how these people in the face of such adversity, how grateful they were, you know, to be at the fairgrounds and to have all the support there from all these like beautiful volunteers out there helping them. It was, you know, it really warmed my heart to see and hear. Rachel, is there anything you wanted to leave us with? Don't follow the prescribed and boring path to your life because you don't have to, you know. Nobody told you at the beginning that you had to go to college, get a job, get married, have a mortgage, live your own life, the one that maybe your imagination prescribes for you. And thank you very much, Rachel. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Rachel Ann Goodman, who's a journalist, teacher, and board chair at KSQD Santa Cruz. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can look us up on major podcasting streaming platforms like Spotify. Please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your future as our business. Thank you and see you next time.